Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we're the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello. Hi. How are you? I haven't seen you in so long. I don't I don't even know how it I seems am. It's like a whiplash. It is like a leap year. It kind of has been. Yeah. It's crazy. I so. feel like you've changed. You look different. You're grown. You grew. I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a new studio thanks to one of our Good friends. Oh, thank you so much. I don't think she'll mind if we say Darlene. Thank you, Darlene. Very nice. Thank you so much. Oh, we love it. Yes. And speaking of name dropping, thank you to those of you who joined us to play True Crime Trivia this oh, week. Oh my gosh, that was so fun. We had a blast. So Jessica was our big winner. Yes. And then we have Agatha and Lisette. Those were our top three. But, oh, how fun was that? And don't worry, guys. I'm getting your stuff out this week. And, so. yes, we are definitely sending that out. And Troy joined us. And yes. It was really fun. And those... They are competitive. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Those true crime junkies. Yes. Well, we didn't make it super easy either, you know. So, and I think maybe that's why people liked it so I, much because it wasn't the typical easy answers. Yeah, you can't do that. There's just too much that we already know. We've moved on. Our right. listeners know a lot <laughs> <Right>. already. <laughs> right. But it was so funny because some of the questions, they called us out and they were like, hey, you haven't covered that case yet. Yeah, true. And then, and then it was so funny. Who said to you, no Googling? Uh, that was Lisette. <laughs> Lisette. That <laughs> cracked me up so much. Well, but I wasn't Googling the answers. I was looking up the pictures of a couple people. So, no, but she so saw they could, you. they could see it. I knew the answers. I didn't have to Google it. I know. It just, it was so cute how she called you <laughs> yeah. out. And I'm like, oh. Hey, no Googling. Oh, she's so cute. So this Friday... May 6th, The Unsolved Murder of Beverly Lynn Smith is premiering on Netflix. Brand new docuseries focuses on the death of Beverly Lynn Smith, a young mom who lived in Ontario, and she was murdered in 1974. So there's, it's an unsolved case. So it's right up your alley, yes, Claudia. Totally. Yes. Love it. And then definitely more. Like the following Wednesday, May 11th, it's a series about Dr. Donald Klein, a former fertility doctor who inseminated his patients with his own sperm and fathered at least oh, that's so gross. 50 children Jesus, criminy. during the 70s and 80s. So their kids, all these random kids are like, hey, you're my sister. And they sought to seek justice and yeah, is he still the, alive? I don't know. They're in this docuseries, but he did this in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So he very well could still be alive. But, you know, just in time for Mother's Day. These are gifts to us. Mommy dearest. Daddy dearest. <laughs> this would be daddy dearest. <sighs> yeah. Huh, interesting. I, I will definitely check out the one coming out on Friday. The first one you just talked about. The other one, I don't know. I'm not much into medical crime or whatever. You put a lot of faith in doctors. A lot when of, you walk yes. into that room. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering how these siblings 
met. Yeah. Or even knew of each exactly. other. Well, maybe through their mother, like, wait, that's the fertility fertility doctor I used. You could be very well related to all these other kids. It was probably DNA maybe performed, like some kind of I'm okay. Maybe I'm old school because I've never done this. But I mean, they give you the, like this book of like sperm donors that you could choose from, right? Well, he's so handsome and athletic and blue eyes. Right. He probably printed his own catalog with his own picture on every page. He's like, look, look at this handsome guy. No, this one. I don't think they picked him. Oh, they're all me. He was just like, uh, oh, you picked this guy. I'm gonna do this guy. Pointing at himself. That's right. He probably definitely did that. Yeah. I'm just cracking up at the thought of a catalog of... <laughs> Men to choose from. <laughs> identical pictures. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Well, speaking of medical, here I am. I'm not really all that into it, but today... I am going to talk about Helen Bailey and Diane Stewart and how a donated brain helped convict a double murder. <gasps> but I'm not into like medical. Blah, blah, blah. This <laughs> but this is... one was super interesting. And the brain, literally, they just convicted him of that murder a couple months ago, really in February. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's May now, so maybe three months ago. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm so excited. What well, Story time. I cannot <laughs> wait. You blew me away just by that little snippet. I don't, I think that's it. <laughs> I don't have to go into it any further. No, I need to know everything. But I just want to say real quick, and we've mentioned that before, you and I don't tell each other really what we're covering. And last week you were in the UK. And guess where I am this week? <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> Not on purpose. Yeah, maybe we should just start telling each other. You know, you what... did ask me earlier if I was covering a guy and I'm like, no. In the future, we hope to have a third party to coordinate. <laughs> A little bit better, our our secrets. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. <sighs> we'll figure it out. But we are in England today. We're going to talk about Helen Bailey first. Helen Bailey was born on August 22nd, 1964, and went to college at Thames Polytechnic, and which is now called the University of Greenwich. Greenwich? Is it Greenwich or Greenwich? I don't know. I don't know. To pursue her dream career in forensic science. Mm. I know. She then changed her career to work in the media and worked on licensing and marketing campaigns for characters such as Rugrats, Garfield, Nintendo. Uh, really cool. While working as a temporary secretary, she met the head of licensing rights company, John Sinfield, in 1996. During their marriage, Helen's career blossomed as she also began writing a very popular book series, Crazy World of Electra Brown. This was a five-book series targeting the teenage market, and these books earned her the title, and I love this, Queen of Teen. 
In all, she had 22 books of short stories, picture books, and young adult fiction published. 22. That's a lot. Your daughter had those. No. No? No. um, She heard of it. She never read them, but she did see them in her school library. But she, so she heard of them, but she didn't, she didn't read them. Okay. She never read them. She said, now I think I'm too old for those. You're still a teenager, okay? <laughs> In February t- 2011, tragedy hit. It had been four years since the workaholic couple took a vacation. Helen and her husband, John, were soaking up the sun on the beautiful beaches of Barbados. John decided to go for a swim and got caught in the rip current and drowned. People eventually got him out of the water and onto shore, but it was too late. Mm-hmm. Grief-stricken, Helen threw herself into what she knew best, writing. So she started a blog called Planet Grief, which turned into a book later called When Things Happen in Good Bikinis. And I thought that title was cute because they were on the beach. She had a cute bikini on, but bad thing, a bad thing happened. Her husband right. drowned. So the book was called When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis. It helped her deal with her grief, and it was also to provide comfort for those who have also lost a loved one. She openly wrote about her journey as a widow, the highs and lows, cooking breakfast for herself, and even uh, little things like remembering taking the trash to the curb. And also how much paperwork is involved when someone dies and how hard... It was to get John's body from Barbados back to the UK. She later wrote how she was a wife at breakfast and a widow by lunch. Isn't that so sad? That is terrible. And she describes meeting Ian Stewart. She says, this is in her words, I'm on Facebook bereavement page, piddling around. A photo comes up. I'm surprised to see it because I know the man in the photo. I kept wondering where we met, racking my grieving brain. As it turned out, we had never met, but the man was gorgeous, gray-haired widower. A man who, from the moment we first met, I felt as if I had known him for my entire life. Helen went on to date GGHW, as she referred to him in her blog, gorgeous, gray-haired widower. Are you kidding me? G-G-H-W. Wow. And if you look him up, his name is Ian Stewart, and he's really anything but gorgeous. And they had a lot in common. Ian, too, lost a wife. They later bought a house in Royston, moving in together along with his two sons. They were planning to marry at nearby Brockett Hall. Ian was tactile and seemingly very devoted to Helen, cooking her breakfast, making scrambling eggs every morning. That was her favorite. Worried that Stuart would be left vulnerable if she died, Bailey changed her will so he would inherit almost all of her four million pound fortune and gave him power of attorney. Did you pull him up? I did. Yeah. So Gorgeous, gray-haired widower. I mean... With an acronym like that, I thought I was going to be um, a little bit more taken aback. But I'm you know, thinking here Sean Connery or something. <laughs> here we are, and you know, I guess the best word would might be like gangly. Yeah, like, or like a grungy, grungy, 
kind for of, sure. mm-hmm. why is one eye operating? The other <laughs> one is kind of, it's like Maybe me. Maybe he was just kind of winking. Maybe the sun, I don't know. But Monday morning. But, you know, to each their own, I guess. She thought the world of him, and that's all that mattered. Yes. I think. I don't really know much about him yet. Right. Yeah, so she gave him power of attorney. And as the wealthier partner, she provided him with a monthly allowance. Friends said Helen trusted Ian implicitly. It was hard to understand what Helen ever saw in Ian. He was known for a sometimes moody temper, and he was super duper cheap, stingy, cheap and stingy. And he didn't really like Boris, who was an important remaining link to her first husband. And Boris was Helen's dachshund, her dog. Boris is her dog. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was the last remaining link to her first husband because they had Boris together. Yeah. And Ian didn't like Boris. Who cares? But their neighbor, good old neighbor Mavis Drake, said, I had no doubt they were happy with each other. But what the hell she saw on him, God only knows. So there's this good old neighbor, Mavis. Mm-hmm. And she is like, what the hell do you see in this guy? Yeah. God only knows. <laughs> Gorgeous, gray-haired widower. He was anything but. Not really. But I think she was infatuated with him. Despite all of this, to Helen, he was the gorgeous, gray-haired widower. Until he wasn't. <gasps> On April 11th, 2016, Helen spent the morning Googling details about Brockett Hall, where she wanted them to have their wedding. Right. She emailed her close friend Tracy, but by midday was not answering her phone, any calls or text. Helen was missing for four days before Ian finally called the police. (gasps) Four days. That's too long. Yes. He explained that the last time he saw her, she was walking Boris, the dachshund. He claimed he found a letter from her saying she was going to stay at her family's house two hours away in Broadstairs, and that she needed time away. At first I thought, "Mm, well, you know, maybe that's not super uncommon for authors to lock themselves away for days or even weeks on end, especially when they start writing a new book. I think Actually, Agatha Christie has done that before, and they finally found her like 11 days later in a hotel room reading the newspaper. <laughs> I can relate, Yeah, and I would love a little getaway like that sometimes. Lock yourself away. Just, I mean, no offense to anyone in my life. I love I everyone, but just the thought of doing that is tempting. Yeah. So throughout the phone call, Ian struggled to remember basic detail about Helen, like her eye color, her birth date, her phone number, because they ask all these questions, right? And Ian told the operator he'd been trying for her to go to the doctor for months since Helen wasn't feeling very well, and she hadn't been. In her Google search later on the computer, they found uh, searches like, why am I always so tired? She was perpetually exhausted oh. and often falling asleep during the day. She even forgot her her beloved dog, Boris, at the beach one time. She just left without him. Oh, no. Anyway, police officers were dispatched to the house and brought stairs, but there was no sign of Helen. 
Helen's brother and mother were immediately suspicious and feared something happened to her, especially since this behavior was not like her. The investigators were skeptical of Ian, especially after they ran a background check and found out that his first wife, Diane Stewart, died unexpectedly in 2010. Their skepticism could not be validated since they could not find any sign of Helen or her dog Boris and the investigation was coming up empty. They started to look into Ian's life a little bit closer. They found an automatic standard bank transfer from Helen's account to the couple's joint account was increased from 600 pounds to 4,000 pounds. Because remember, she would give him a monthly allowance. Uh huh. So that was all of a sudden increased to 4,000 pounds. Pounds. He was a former software engineer, and I'm guessing he knew his way around computers, but he hasn't worked since the mid-90s. What due does to, he do? Due to health issues. All of a sudden, this handsome stallion is starting to look like something I drew with my left hand. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Ian claimed Helen had made the change herself because they were planning on doing some home renovations. Okay. Yeah, maybe. It was revealed that Ian tried to undo this transaction, but the history was there. He couldn't undo the history. But like I said, he was a software engineer, so he kind of knew his way around computers. <sighs> then there was a note Ian said Helen left him. It was gone. <laughs> like there was no note. <laughs> Okay. But he said she left a note. Ian thought maybe he must have thrown it away. It's like, I'm sorry, your wife is missing and you throw away vital evidence, like a handwritten note. But there was no proof that it ever even really existed, honestly. And there was more. On the day of the murder, he was captured on CCTV dumping a large white duvet uh, cover at a recycling center. He told the investigators that he had an accident on the bedding after a recent bowel procedure. <laughs> Why he would put it in the recycling container, I have no idea. I can't even leave a drop of milk in my carton and they won't take it. No, you have to rinse it. Rinse it. I have to leave the lid off so it can dry. <laughs> And you think poopy blankets are okay to put... Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest piece of evidence that raised the most eyebrows was on April 21st. After police checked the Wi-Fi router at Helen's cottage in Broadstairs, showed Helen's phone, which had been turned off since her disappearance, had connected to the Wi-Fi on April 16th, the day after Ian reported her missing. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Her phone could have just been in the house. Mm -hmm. Even though this, he has red flags all around him. True, true. Conveniently, it was also the same day Ian drove to Broadstairs to look for Helen. A month after her disappearance, the police continued their search for Helen. Her brother, John, decided to issue a public appeal for information. Throughout their search for Helen, police described Ian as rude, uncooperative, dismissive, and temperamental. 
Ian kept up the charade, though, in the weeks and months after Helen's disappearance. He paid for flyers to raise awareness about her disappearance, but secretly renewed Arsenal season tickets using her account, paying more than £3,000. Okay, and you're wondering what Arsenal is? Yes, I am. It's a soccer team. Thank you, Claudia. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, an email was sent to all the ticket season ticket holders. You know, it was time to renew. Yeah. And he renewed the season tickets. Maybe it was in honor of her. Sure. Yeah. But then he went on a two-week vacation to Spain that they have planned to take together. What a douche canoe. All right. Douche now canoe. Now I'm done. This is definitely not the kind of behavior you would suspect from a man who's hoping his wife might return to him, right? right. I mean, I don't go on, well, maybe I maybe to regroup, I would go on vacation, come back and restart my search new. <laughs> I don't know. All signs pointed to Ian, but the police didn't have concrete evidence they needed to find Helen, right? Yeah, without a body, you don't really have a crime. No. So on July 11th, the police made a bold decision and arrested Ian for suspicion of Helen's murder or of murdering Helen. Early on during the investigation, the police had made a preliminary search of Helen's home, and now they were back, gung-ho, on turning the place upside down, inside out, looking for evidence. Literally, they were working around the clock. The investigators scoured every inch of the huge seven-bedroom house. They even pumped out the septic tank, which would probably be my first thing to do, too. That's smart. After three days, they came up with nothing. On July 14, 2016, good old neighbor Mavis, you know, the one who couldn't understand what Helen saw in Ian, yeah. approached the police. She said she had something really important to tell them. There was a second septic tank on the property, <sighs> technically a cesspit located beneath the garage. Here I am again with the garage. <laughs> Can I, can I just tell you, Mavis, I love that name, and I love how mm -hmm. she's like, hey, this is my house, but I just want you to know, under the garage, here in Lies. Yeah. I mean, how does she even know this? Well, because they were, I'll get to it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, and I, and I also have to say, I did read another report that said the police had talked to the previous owner, and he told them about the cesspit. I'm going with Mavis. I love it. Nosy Mav neighbor Mavis. I love it. The neighbors and the previous owner had a long-standing joke that would be, the cesspit would be the perfect place to hide a body. You know, kind of joking, ha, 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 I have a cesspit under the garage. That would be a perfect place. You know, people joke around. Uh-huh. Well, the police were like, hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Oh. After searching the cesspit, they finally found Helen and her sweet dog, Boris. Autopsy revealed Helen died of suffocation. There was no other signs that there had been a struggle. There were no other signs that there had been a struggle but police also found a pillowcase in the cesspit with Helen's body. Police believe that Ian smothered Helen with the pillowcase. Even though Ian was much bigger than Helen, there was this question of whether he could have physically done that 
to Helen mm-hmm. Ian had a muscle disease, which is called <laughs> tiny boy syndrome, myasthenia gravis. And he hadn't worked in over 20 years. And that's a chronic autoimmune disorder in which antibodies destroy the communication between nerves and muscles resulting in weakness the answer to that question if he was physically able to smother helen who was probably fighting for her life would come from an unlikely source helen's hair you know in your hair drugs stay in your hair for months months and months this is getting better and better talk screens revealed that helen had zopiclone in her system a sleeping pill to treat insomnia Helen didn't have a prescription for that, but guess who? Ian did. Ian. Based on the buildup in her follicles, they were able to determine that Helen had been consistently drugged or dosed with the drug since February, a whole two months before her death. Suddenly, all the physical problems Helen had been Googling made perfect sense. Remember, she is like, why am I always so tired? Memory loss and, you know, those kind of things yeah ian drugged her and suffocated her when she was unable to fight him back on january 10th 2017 ian stewart went to trial he killed helen literally out of pure greed the zopiclone was proof that ian had planned helen's murder for months it had to have been someone who was close to her which meant he was putting it in her favorite breakfast he cooked for her every morning oh my gosh so you know kenny wants to cook for you which he does (laughs) say no thank you okay i i can't i'm just gonna (laughs) die (laughs) i'll be like you eat it you try first I don't, I don't, well, he wouldn't because it's all vegan. So he wouldn't eat my meal. I would just die. That's what would happen. Okay. (laughs) Should I? Okay. I'm already taking applications. No. (laughs) Of course, he said she was taking those pills on her own. Yeah, right. Of course, he would say that. Then why was she worried and why would she Google her symptoms if she knew she was taking those? You know what I mean? Yeah. And how did she end up under your garage? Yeah. Well, no one believed him. However, this was not even the most crazy or absurd claim Ian made. He claimed that Helen had been taken by two men known only as Nick and Joe. It's like the Jonas Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Nick and Joe, who assaulted and threatened him, saying he would never see Helen again if he spoke to the police. And he said they're demanding a 500,000 pound ransom. On the stand, Ian was in tears, saying how worried he had been, and he said that he had never stopped loving Helen. But all, obviously, the evidence suggested that was far from the truth. And I will link his 911 call in the show notes because y'all have to listen to it i mean he was i mean okay so i'm like he's really scatterbrained but if you do 
find anybody dead or your spouse is missing you are you're maybe you're forgetful and I get that but like I said I mean he couldn't even remember her eye color you ask me what eye color like Alex's eye color is and I'll be able to tell you it's brown and he waited four days Mm -hmm. yeah because he found a note first remember I want to be left alone and then he was like yeah maybe I should call the police Ultimately, Ian was found guilty and sentenced to a minimum of 34 years. But after his conviction, the police was wondering about the unexpected death of Ian's wife, Diane, and maybe it wasn't so unexpected after all. The same day of Ian's first day in prison, the officials opened an investigation about Diane's death. And this proved to be a bit harder than they thought, since there was no suspicion or foul play about how Diane died back in 2010. There was never really a formal investigation. Not only had Diane's body been cremated, but full toxicology tests had not been carried out during the post-mortem examination. The only drug screening carried out was in relation to an anti-epileptic drug, and those levels were normal. Furthermore, her body had been cremated, eliminating the possibility of exhuming her body, right? Mm -hmm. So the police had very little to go on. However, detectives had one rather unusual avenue to follow. Diane had donated her brain to medical research, something Stewart had consented to. Without that consent, this vital source of evidence would have been destroyed gone. Police discovered her brain had not been used yet, but was stored at a hospital. My whole body just got chills. Isn't that something? All these years, they never touched it. So pathologists found evidence of ischemia, damage to the brain cells due to lack of oxygen. Three experts concluded that her death was most likely caused by a prolonged restriction to her breathing from an outside source. That is fascinating. So they're able to not only, you know, they're able to bring two families to justice, Mm -hmm. hopefully through this. Yeah. Wow. One who gave evidence said that the damage would have occurred over a period of 35 minutes to an hour before her death, which was not sudden, as Stewart claimed. Another said the chance of Diane having a fatal seizure was around 1 in 100,000. As this crucial new medical evidence emerged, Stewart adapted to his version of events to fit the time frame. According to Ian, Diane was outside hanging, uh, hanging up the laundry, and Ian claimed he had driven to the supermarket to get French bread and pate to celebrate after their son's driving test, but returned home when he realized he had forgotten his wallet. He saw her crumbled on the ground and gave her CPR, then ran across the road to knock at a house where a doctor and a nurse lived before returning home to continue trying CPR. He then called 999 and told them, my wife had a fit, She's in the garden. He told the operator his wife had epilepsy, but Diane had not suffered a fit since 1992. So in 18 years, she hadn't had a seizure. One paramedic even later said there were no signs of any CPR done to Diane. 
because there's typically a physical trauma, really bruising, cracked ribs, because you have to actually really pump on that chest hard when you're doing CPR. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I think, on YouTube, uh, a recording of that 999 call, because you can actually hear him ask the operator, should I... Should I run across the street? There's a doctor. My neighbor is a doctor. And she said, no, 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 you stay with me. You keep doing what you're doing. But later he told police he ran over there to get the doctor who wasn't home. In 2018, Ian was charged with the murder of his wife, Diane. On January 17th, 2022, Ian's trial for Diane's murder began. Over the course of three weeks, the jury was presented with a lot of overwhelming evidence confirming that she had, in fact, been murdered by her husband. Of course, Ian maintained his innocence, and it took the jury only two days to find him guilty. On February 9th, 2022, the judge gave Ian a whole life sentence, the UK term for life without the possibility of parole. Mm. And that's an extreme rarity in the UK. There are less than 100 prisoners who ever received a whole life sentence. Diane's and Ian's sons, Oliver and Jamie, they were not at home when he killed his wife. And in the statement released after the verdict, they called their mother amazing and said, we were privileged to have a wonderful caring upbringing, and we were supported through all the activities and hobbies that we undertook. We now look forward to happy moments we had growing up as a family. Aww. Yeah. That is so sad. Yeah, I just thought, you know, her Diane's death was ruled natural. She had an epilepsy fit. Uh-huh. You know, they didn't do any further, nothing. And she was the one, she was adamant that her organs be donated or her brain be donated to research, to research epilepsy. You know, if anything, if I die from it, donate my brain. And he was the one who can, who said, I want her cremated or let, you know, cremate her. But knowing if, he would not donate her brain, which everyone knew, the entire family knew about that. He would raise suspicion. So he had to donate her brain to science to be studied. So the takeaway from today is definitely donate. Donate something. <laughs> yeah, my organs are shot. They're like, there's nothing we can use. Her liver is gone. Her lungs are gone. Everything. No, everyone wants a piece of you. Your organs are valuable. Yeah. Yes. On the black market. Yes. <laughs> Don't come for me. Who wouldn't want a piece of this? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was uh, super duper interesting that they were able to take another look at it. And just by, you know, looking at her brain, they were able to tell that she was suffocated. And it took a long time for him to kill her really that's awful so they were able to get him for both Mm -hmm. and the dog Mm -hmm. i keep thinking about her dog yeah it's so sad the whole thing i read a one article that said something about helen and 
and Boris that they were actually still alive when he threw them in the pit, in that cesspit. Oh, my God. Probably maybe passed out from strangling her, but still alive. I only found one article on it, so I'm not totally sure. But how terrible. That is awful. So. Yeah. Because you would easily suffocate yeah. in that small area. And I want to apologize to the UK if I butchered any of your town's <laughs> names. <laughs> You would think we're in America. It can't be that different. But I just actually had a person, something real quick, from uh, Scotland teach me how to say Worcestershire. <laughs> okay. So it's actually Worcestershire. 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 He said, think of it like New Hampshire. We mm -hmm. don't say Shire. Hampshire. We say New Hampshire, and that's what Worcestershire. <laughs> Shoot, I just had it. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. 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 Worcestershire sauce. I've learned so much. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, give it to me. He's like, you've been saying it wrong all your life. Who else cannot say Worcestershire? sauce i know i'm not the only probably one probably 85 percent of us probably probably that was very interesting yeah i thought that was super interesting yeah just a little bit of science behind it but who would have thought that after seven years they would still have her brain yeah do they you... have too many <laughs> donated or it's like no one took an inventory it's like, Mavis, you should know how many brains are in the back room. Oh, my goodness. I love Mavis Drake, her good old neighbor. And I called her the nosy neighbor, and she probably wasn't a nosy neighbor. But when I hear Mavis, that's a nosy neighbor. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, cool. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the show. If you um, liked the amazing case that Claudia did such a good job on today. You can share the episode with your close friends that won't judge you. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where wherever we are, yeah. follow us. You can run over to judgycrimegirls.com and buy us a coffee if you would like. And that's, a, that's about it. That's all we've got for this week. So happy Mother's Day to everybody. Happy Mother's Day. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.